What is the Bible about? If you were to ask that question of a dozen people, you'd probably get a dozen different answers. But if you were to ask the Apostle Peter, this would be his answer. To Jesus Christ, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's found in Acts 10, verse 43. And from that passage and others like it, we learn that the entire Bible is centered on Jesus Christ and his gospel. This is Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. We invite you to join us this afternoon as we consider God's Word and what it reveals about Jesus Christ and His wonderful good news. Here's Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. Good afternoon to you. Welcome to another edition of Gospel Talk. Today on Gospel Talk, we want to consider the doctrine or the biblical teaching of God's providence. In fact, we're going to begin considering that today and we're going to be looking at that throughout this week. Well, first of all, we should begin with a definition. What is the providence of God? Well, I would say that a good definition of God's providence is this, that God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, that definition comes out of the 16th century Heidelberg Catechism, one of the doctrinal standards of the Reformed churches. I think that's a, a good biblical definition, and I'm going to develop that today as we go further along. Well, you know, there are a lot of different ideas out there about God's providence. Not everybody looks at it exactly the same way. In fact, there are some who, for all intents and purposes, don't really hold to a doctrine of providence. You know, in his book, Is God to Blame?, Gregory Boyd tells the story of a woman named Melanie. After preaching a sermon on living with passion, he was approached by this distraught middle-aged woman. This woman, Melanie, used to be on fire for God, but a tragedy in her life deadened her spiritually and sent her into a deep pit of depression. She said, I used to love to read the Bible and pray, but now I find both laborious and aggravating. I just feel dead. Melanie hadn't gotten married until she was in her mid-30s. After three years, she and her husband had still not been able to conceive a child. Doctors told her that it was unlikely she ever would because of a medical condition. She wasn't going to have a baby. But then suddenly, it happened. She was pregnant. It seemed to be a miracle. Now, pregnancy went fine, but as the baby was being delivered, something terrible happened, and the baby died. Their miracle had turned into a nightmare. And Melanie and her husband were left with a question that tortured them. Why would God miraculously give them a child only to take the baby away while coming into the world? Why did this happen to them? Even more tormenting, why was God preventing them from conceiving again? Their dreams were shattered. They had these tough questions, and the answers that they received from other Christians didn't satisfy them. Well, Greg Boyd brings his answer in his book, Is God to Blame? And his answer, the answer that he gave to Melanie, is that God didn't have anything to do with it. God didn't bring that tragedy into Melanie's life. Instead, God is up there in heaven and he looks down and he, he, he saw what happened to her and he wants to free her from her pain and to help her get beyond it. Boyd says, and I quote, 
We have no reason to assume God put Melanie and her husband through this tragic ordeal. Rather, we have every reason to assume God was and is at work to deliver Melanie and her husband from their ordeal. Now, maybe you're listening to that and you think, well, that sounds like a nice answer. And it's an answer that appeals to many people today. It appeals on a number of different levels. And one of the levels, of course, is that it, it makes God appear to be more sympathetic. It's an answer, however, that comes out of a trend in theology known as open theism. Greg Boyd, the author of this book, Is God to Blame, he's an open theist. And open theists like Gregory Boyd don't believe that God is sovereignly in control of everything that happens. Instead, they believe that God has relinquished control. He's backed off. Taken, he takes a hands-off approach, and he just allows the universe to take its course. And so events that happen in this world are just as surprising to God as they are to us. You can, you can always tell when you're reading an open theist author or you're hearing an open theist speaker or somebody who's been influenced by open theism because they will speak about God taking risks and God taking chances and God respecting and allowing for human freedom to the fullest extent. Now, open theism, I should say, historically has developed out of the Arminian view of God and his sovereignty and our salvation. The Arminians said that God respects human freedom and, and the human will, and that people, you know, God looks down the, the corridors of history and he sees who's going to believe, and those are the ones whom he chooses. Arminians believe very strongly in the free will of fallen man. The Reformed, on the other hand, those who believe in God's sovereign grace and our salvation, would say, no, God predestined, he elected out of pure grace, out of his good pleasure and will, not because of anything in man, not because of anything that man has done. And even faith that people have is a gift of God worked in them sovereignly by the Holy Spirit. So open theism emerges out of the Arminian view of God and his sovereignty. And if you were to ask Greg Boyd and others like him, they would admit that. And as you can see from the story that I've been telling you about Melanie, this isn't some pie-in-the-sky, ivory tower academic discussion. You know, how you view God and his sovereignty and his providence that impacts on how you reflect on what happens in your life. Both the pleasant and the not so pleasant, even the ugly and the heartbreaking. This doctrine of providence, the doctrine of God's sovereignty in our everyday affairs, that has enormous practical implications. And friends, that's why it's so important that we be absolutely 100% sure that our view of God and his providence lines up exactly with what the Bible teaches. Now, I want to be fair to Greg Boyd and to men like him. They appeal to the Bible too. It's true. Boyd thinks that his view is biblical. He tries to make a biblical case for his position. However, I would say to you that the problem is that he doesn't wrestle with the fullness of God's revelation in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I would say that, that men like Greg Boyd have a bit of a, a tunnel vision. They only see one set of facts in the Bible to the exclusion of all the others. 
We need to wrestle with the fullness of God's revelation in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the entire 66 books of the Word of God. We need to do that. And as we do that, I think we'll come to see that our Father upholds and governs all things, even the tragic and the difficult things. Now, over the next few days, we're going to see that in, in, under three different rubrics or three different headings, you could say. First of all, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. We'll start with that today. And then we're going to look at the, the death of Christ. And then we're also going to consider our own daily existence. Well, I'd like to begin then by looking at the, the life of Joseph and God's providence in that. And I'd like to read with you from Genesis 37, verses 12 to 36. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man, man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed, Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So that comes from Genesis 37, 12 to 36. And I'd also like to read with you towards the end of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 to 21, 
And here we read the word of God. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So you see this horrible tragedy that happens to, to Joseph. And at the end of it, what do we find in verse 20? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Well, we're going to look at this passage in a little bit more detail tomorrow. I hope you'll join me for that. And may God continue to bless you richly in every way. Gospel Talk is brought to you by the Canadian and American Reformed Churches in British Columbia and Northwest Washington State. Did you know that you can subscribe to Gospel Talk as a podcast? Just go to the iTunes store, do a search on Gospel Talk, and subscribe. You can have the programs automatically delivered to your iPod or other MP3 player. You can also go to our blog, gospeltalkradio.blogspot.com, look for the orange RSS feed button on the right side of that page. Click on that button and follow the instructions. At the blog, you can also find our archive of past programs, and you can leave your comments or questions. Again, that blog address is gospeltalkradio.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening today. We hope you'll join us again soon.